Welcome to Pushback, I'm Aaron Maté. One day after ousting John Bolton as his national security advisor, President Trump cited disagreements between the two over North Korea and Venezuela. John Bolton talked about the Libyan model, and he made a mistake. And as soon as he mentioned that, the Libyan model, what a disaster. Take a look at what happened to Gaddafi with the Libyan model. And he's using that to make a deal with North Korea. And I don't blame Kim Jong-un for what he said after that. And he wanted nothing to do with John Bolton. And that's not a question of being tough. That's a question of being not smart. No, I disagreed with John Bolton on his attitudes on Venezuela. I thought he was way out of line. And I think I've proven to be right. Joining me now to discuss the firing of John Bolton and who might replace him is Lawrence Wilkerson. He is the former chief of staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell. Welcome, Colonel Wilkerson. You served with John Bolton in the Bush administration. Your thoughts on his ouster? Sad to say I served with him in the Bush administration. The Deputy Secretary of State, Richard Armitage, and I spent a lot of time trying to get rid of John Bolton, but never could, um, primarily because I think Cheney and Powell had had to make a deal and Powell had had to eat Bolton. But he was very disruptive. Uh, very acerbic. Uh, I don't agree with the people who say he's bright. I don't think he's all that bright. He's just adamant and he stays on the same ruthless theme all the time, which is usually making war with people and destroying arms control agreements. And I think those two things, more so than making war with people, but the arms control agreements too, really screwed the pooch with him with regard to Donald Trump, whether it's for political purposes or in eight uh, passionately held beliefs. I don't know. I suspect it's for political purposes. That's about all that motivates Donald Trump or seems to. But John and he, I, you know, I said a month after he was appointed on television that he wouldn't last long. He lasted longer than I thought. But there's another consideration here too. Ronald Reagan had six national security advisors. Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump are not the same people by any stretch of the imagination, but Ronald Reagan wanted to be president. And Ronald Reagan had seen what Kissinger did to Dick Nixon, and he'd seen what Brzezinski did to Jimmy Carter, and he wanted nothing of that. So his first two national security advisors, for example, Richard Allen and Judge Clark, they couldn't even get in the Oval Office. They couldn't even see the president. By the time you get to the last two, Frank Carlucci and Colin Powell, they're suffering from Iran-Contra and the scandal surrounding it. And so they're treading very lightly also. But Reagan wanted to be president. Trump wants to be president too. We can argue the reasons, but Trump wants to be president. He doesn't want people competing with him. And Bolton was competing with him big time. That's gonna happen with any national security advisor if he acts at all in the capacity of the job. So I don't see Donald Trump keeping national security advisors. Uh, let's say he's reelected. He'll break Reagan's record, I predict. When you uh, speak there about Bolton's ouster being uh, for political purposes on Trump's part, what do you mean? Is that a reference to the fact that Trump ran sort of as an anti-intervention candidate and then in appointing Bolton as his national security advisor, he had someone who was sort of the, uh, the emblem of uh, intervention in Washington? That's part of it. That's a, strong, that, that's a very strong, powerful part of it, I think. Um, and then you have to question, of course, and you just uh, elicited that question, uh, who is Trump and why does he do this? I mean, it's not like he didn't know who John Bolton was. I hope 
he knew a little bit about who John Bolton was. Did Steve Bannon recommend him? That's what I've heard. Did Condi Rice recommend him? Did, does Donald Trump pay any attention to Condi Rice? Does anyone anymore pay any attention to Condi Rice? Um, but he had to have known something of Bolton, so why did he pick him? Did he pick him because he thought he would create this kind of tumult and that at a propitious domestic political moment, Trump could discard him? Maybe so. I'm giving him too much credit, I think, though, for that. But I think Trump has figured out war and the kinds of things John Bolton advocated for are not what his base wants, even, and certainly not what the majority of Americans want. And so if he wants any chance of reelection, he had to discard him. Hmm. In terms of whether Trump listens to Condi Rice, we do know that Condi Rice recommended Rex Tillerson for the job of Secretary of State, uh, which a job that Tillerson got, although he did not uh, last very long. In terms of Bolton and arms control agreements, which you mentioned before, so under Bush, he spearheads the killing of the anti-ballistic missile treaty. Then under Trump, he spearheads the killing of the INF treaty. What to you has been the uh, global legacy uh, of both of these moves? Let's go back for a second. I can't let that Tillerson remark go by without commenting. I think Rex got into trouble with Trump because of uh, Jared Kushner. I think Tillerson very wisely was advocating that the Saudis not blockade Qatar, not do some of the things they're doing now under MBS. And so he got astray. He got uh, in conflict with Jerry Kushner, who is uh, an expert on the Middle East only as he listens to Bibi Netanyahu, Sheldon Adelson and others in the region. He's certainly not an expert. Um, your question about Bolton is a good one. Uh, Bolton never met an arms control agreement that he liked, which made it really, really difficult for me to understand why Powell had hired him to be undersecretary for international security affairs and arms control. I can't tell you how many arms controllers in the State Department came into my office week after week, almost in tears, one of them in tears, uh, sharing, well, I won't, I won't say any names. Um, and, and just they couldn't understand why they were having to work under Bolton, the man who hated arms control when it was their profession, their mission, their responsibility to advocate for arms control and secure arms control agreements and keep those we had robust and sound and modify them if necessary. That was their main mission. Now, this was ACTA. This was the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency dissembled and taken apart by people like Jesse Helms and stuck into the State Department, just like the U.S. Information Agency was. So these people were already pariahs in a sense. And here comes Bolton in to take over for them. Bolton is nothing if not a, a an abomination to arms control, and particularly nuclear arms control. So it wasn't a surprise to me that we abandoned the INF Treaty, uh, left the INF Treaty, when what we should have done was multilateralize that treaty. Yes, the treaty was, was becoming rapidly obsolete because you had other powers in the world, China, North Korea, and so forth, who were de developing these kinds of missiles, and some of them had nuclear capability. So you needed to multilateralize that. You also needed to bring countries like Israel in and countries like, uh, you know, the ones that don't want to be a part of the arms control regime. You need to get everyone with nuclear weapons in the arms control regime. I think Bolton's theory, at least as expressed to me, was that you bomb everybody in the world if you have to. You don't have arms control because people will cheat. 
the Washington Treaty, a perfect example between World War One and World War Two. Uh, people don't adhere to the treaties. That's Trump's view, I think, of the JCPOA. Uh, it gives them a chance to cheat with impunity in some respects because you never can trust international organizations like the IAEA, for example, to really conduct the kind of uh, inspections that they should. And so that's John's point of view. From a rational argument point of view, that's not that insane. I understand that point of view. At the same time, we have proven throughout the Cold War that the most dangerous weapons in the world, nuclear weapons, can be controlled to a certain extent, at least through arms control. And we need to, you know, at the end of the day, we need to get back to that. We need to create an environment in this country, in the world, again, for nuclear arms control. This is very dangerous what we're doing. Spending a trillion dollars ourselves on more weapons and modernization of these weapons and so forth. The military, some military leaders are salivating about the prospect of having these kinds of weapons that might be, quote, usable, unquote, on the battlefield. We've heard this before. We heard this right after World War II. We heard this from the military. These are just bigger weapons. That's all they are. Wrong. All of our scholarly research, our analytics, everything shows that if we start a nuclear war, we may be ending it. It may be over. It may be as existential as climate change, for example. So we do not need to go down this road again. And yet here we are letting this road not only open up, but participating in going down it ourselves. So speaking of the threat of nuclear war, I want to ask you about uh, John Bolton, Trump and North Korea. Early on in his presidency, Trump threatened nuclear war on North Korea, threatened to totally destroy North Korea. But then after firing John Bolton, he seemed to single out Bolton for hawkish comments about North Korea and undermining uh, the peace effort with North Korea when he singled out Bolton for invoking uh, the Libyan model. Don't blame him. Uh, that was an absolutely idiotic thing for John to do. I mean, that was even beyond what I consider John's mind. Um, it, it just was stupid to compare Libya and Gaddafi. I mean, after all, the most impolitic words in the world spoken by Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, we came, we saw he died, reflect what Libya was. It was a disaster, still a disaster. Uh, and it's not something you're going to hold up to someone else you're trying to keep from the possession of or you're trying to disarm of nuclear weapons. It's not something you do. Uh, here we go, rapprochement with Gaddafi, and next thing we do, he's dead. Uh, Kim Jong-un <laughs> probably looked at that and said, that's not my template. I'm not doing that. And looking at Saddam Hussein and what we did in Iraq, looking at what we're trying to do in Iran, uh, that's not very good template for operating with Kim Jong-un, who's a very distinctly different state actor on the other side of the world. Um, but here's the deal, I think, with John on that. One of the things that attracted John to this administration was its avowed purpose with regard to the JCPOA. You know, after all, Trump told his base he was going to leave it. Um, and this more or less boisterous, bellicose even attitude towards North Korea. But if Trump was doing that for pressure and compellence so that it would give him some negotiating room, give him the opportunity to come off of that immediately and go the other direction with Kim Jong-un, which it looks now like maybe there was some semblance of that kind of strategy, uh, then that's fine. But it sure caught John in the middle because now Trump wants a deal and he does not want a war. 
And as far as I can tell, Trump is ready to go the whole route. He's ready for a peace treaty. He's ready for uh, tit for tat, if you will. You do this, Kim, and we'll do that. And that for us includes withdrawing forces off the Korean Peninsula. Trump's talked all about it. You know, South Korea is a proud, uh, prosperous country now, can defend itself. Japan, the same way and so forth. So John would be right in the way of all of that if that was in any way a genuine strategy for getting to some of these previously intractable problems. Finally, do you have any uh, hunch or predictions as to who might be Bolton's replacement? One name that's been floated around is Douglas McGregor, uh, who has been appearing on Tucker Carlson of late in a bid, an apparent bid to audition for the job. McGregor, you know, has a lot of anti-intervention rhetoric that echoes the what Trump said on the campaign trail and I think what helped get Trump elected. Also staunchly anti-immigrant as well, another parallel with Trump. I don't think it's quite Trump's view in terms of his political base and what he, ha what he has to say about that. I don't think it's, we want to maintain a white America. I think it's a more rational view about controlling immigration in a way that serves our interests and ultimately serves the interests of the rest of the world. Um, I might be wrong about that. Doug's other views, though, align with mine very much so in terms of ending these stupid wars and stopping the train of what many scholars now are calling the deep state, the deep state, which is the, the bureaucracy that maintains this empire. One of the things Trump will have a lot of problems with, though, I think, is because he seeks the loyalty of the military all the time, is Doug believes that, the as do I, the current four- and three-star leadership of the armed forces is brain-dead. It is utterly brain-dead. It has no imagination, no creativity. It does nothing but ask for more money and more money and more money. And it has no idea about the future and how the forces should be organized, how they should be trained and led, how they should be equipped and so forth. And with that kind of attitude, with respect to the, the loyalty function that Trump demands out of DOD and essentially DOD gives him, um, that's going to be a real problem for Donald Trump if, if uh, Doug should become a national, the national security advisor. I'd give it a 50-50 possibility, but I'd say this, if this gives you any insight, I'd say if there is a personal interview, Trump talking to Doug and Doug to Trump, I'd raise that to 70-30 and I'd bet on it. Why is that? Because he's a very convincing guy. And he, I won't say he's politicking, but if anyone saw his speech at the Ron Paul Institute here a couple of weeks ago, they'd understand that it, whether that was politicking or not, or trying to suggest he might be a good replacement for John Bolton, I don't know. Um, but it looked as if he were. And he's very persuasive. He's very persuasive. John Bolton leaving, does the neocon outlook that he represents leave with him, or is that still sufficiently entrenched inside the U.S. national security state that whether he's there or not, it might not make that big of a difference? I think you're, you're right to a certain extent. Look at Venezuela, for example. We've got people, neoconservatives, we've got people embedded in that system right now. And I, I would bet you Trump doesn't know half of them, if, if that. 
and they are working hard on one of the dumbest policies the United States is trying to pursue right now, and that is sanctions on Venezuela and the removal of Nicolas Maduro. What we're doing is forcing another two or three million Venezuelans through our sanctions to have to immigrate, to have to leave. Guess what's left in Venezuela? All of Maduro's supporters, and that's it, period. So we are, we are pursuing a policy in Venezuela that is utterly absurd, and the people behind it are Marco Rubio, the old Cubans in Florida, and so forth. People who haven't a clue that the world has changed and it's passed them by. And that's a stupid policy, but it's still being implemented. And one of the things uh, McGregor or whomever as national security advisor would have to do when they came in is get a handle on that somehow. But there are many little pockets like this where neoconservatives like Elliot Abrams and others are still orchestrating policy beneath Trump's kin. He really doesn't know what they're doing. And disassembling the bureaucracy. Do you know there's not even a senior director on the National Security Council for the Middle East? Bolton fired the one that he didn't like when he came in, and we've never replaced that individual. So there's no one helping Trump with these things. He thinks that's propitious. He thinks it's advantageous that, that he's the president and he can run everything. I got news for him. There are a lot of things going on in the bowels of the bureaucracy that I'm sure he's probably opposed to, but they're happening because these neoconservatives and others have taken them over. Lawrence Wilkerson, the former chief of staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell, currently a distinguished professor at the College of William and Mary. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you, Aaron.